So welcome to The Soft Skills Revolution, a podcast looking at what really ignites potential. Brought to you by the CPD-accredited soft skills learning app, QDOs. I'm Julia Hobsbawm, and today we'll be looking not just at skills, but at qualities. This links to some research conducted for QDOs by Britain Thinks, which you can find on the website qdoz.com. I'm joined in the studio by three experts in their field, and I'm going to invite them to introduce themselves and tell us what their perspective is before we have a discussion about the whole nature of skills and qualities. I'm going to turn to my left to someone you can't see is very brightly dressed, but she is very brightly dressed, Amanda. Hi, uh, my name's Amanda Phone. I'm the founder and CEO of F1 Recruitment. We specialise in marketing and communications experts across sectors, corporate and also for agencies. I'm also the co-founder of Back to Business Ship, a returners programme uh, that's been running for six years and co-founder of BAME 2020, which accelerates BME people into the marketing and communications sector with a view of keeping them in the sector right to the very top. And that is a very interesting conversation around soft skills because it is often the soft skills that hold people from a less inclusive background on from getting on in the workplace. So I'm coming at this from recruitment perspective, what our clients ask us for in terms of hard skills and soft skills and what it is that really gets somebody the job at the end of the day. It's often not the hard technical skills. It is often the soft skills. And it's a subject that comes up every single recruitment assignment that we take on. Derek, who are you and what's your take on this very large <laughs> so, subject? I'm Derek Draper. I uh, run a leadership consultancy called CDP. And we do various things. Um, We do a lot of assessment of senior people to go into jobs or if they have jobs, how could they get better at them? We're all psychologists of one form or another. So what we're really doing is bringing the lessons of psychology to business. Mm. And it's interesting listening to what Amanda said. I'm often assessing very, very senior people. And I think that sometimes a soft skills debate tends to focus on younger people, new graduates, have they not got social skills because of social media or whatever it might be, right? It can focus on millennials. But actually, time and time again, I will be assessing people near to the peak of their careers. And when we write their four or five development areas down in the report after spending half a day with them and doing various psychometrics and taking various feedback from people, it's always the soft skills because they've mastered the hard skills. If you're the head of IT for a FTSE 100 company, you you, kind of know about... IT. And one example, I I was with someone yesterday who has just made it onto the management board of one of Britain's biggest global companies, and he nearly didn't make it because he didn't have a particular soft skill. Now, he's very charming, by the way, and he's very kind of empathic. But what he didn't do was read a room properly. So he would be sitting in the room, and if they were talking, he's a marketing guy traditionally, he's now a kind of general manager. But he would think that if they were talking about marketing, he had things to say, and he would show interest and be passionate. And if they were talking about anything else, his eyes would glaze over and people could see that. And of course, if you want to move from being a marketing person to a regional manager of a third of the world, you kind of have to have an interest in supply chain and IT and sales and all those things. But you also have to show 
that you're interested. And he didn't have that skill. And that's a soft skill that was going to prevent him from reaching, as I say, the very top, really, of a massive company. And you've actually queued up our third speaker, who is our intergenerational expert. Tell us who you are and where you're coming from. Thank you. Um, I'm Caroline McFarland. I'm the founder and director of a think tank and social enterprise called Common Vision or COVI. We tend to specialise in topics which might otherwise become very angry, complex or polarised when played out in the public debate. We're particularly interested in intergenerational dialogue and the point of view, the perspectives of the millennial generation. Um, Trying to myth bust some of those stereotypes about um, sort of avocados and snowflakes and that sort of thing. But also looking at what millennials who aren't young people millennials are already leaders ceos mps right up to 37 years old so not necessarily young people and new graduates but what millennials want from the modern workforce um, and the workplace itself expectations of leadership in both private and public life and um, how we can kind of harness the talent and skills of a generation that are the most educated connected and mobile generation ever so I'm really interested in how you use those opportunities for agency and leadership and try and unpick what that means for the future. Can we start by looking for a minute at the question of the workplace? Because I think that allows us to locate what we mean by the worker of today and tomorrow and regardless of what age they are. Am I right, Amanda, that the workplace, the world of work, the roles are changing or are they sort of the same as they've ever been? The world of work is changing. Where it's changing is speed and technology, clearly, and the flexibility and adaptability that people need to have. The structures of teams are changing, where people work from, how they work, the flexible, um, the remote working. All those traditional structures have just completely gone. And I think there are people that find that much more difficult than they actually think they do. So in terms of roles, I think I'm in marketing and communications. Um, So the world of artificial intelligence, the world of data, that those are the two things that have changed so dramatically from a technical skills point of view. But I think those softer skills that you need, you need even more now than you did, because you can't just grab 10 people for a meeting and have it face to face and be able to read the room like you can read the room face to face. When you're doing it remotely. I had a Zoom meeting yesterday. Well, Zoom didn't work. So there were two really important people that were trying to get their point across. And I was chairing the meeting and I had seven other people in there. And I could tell that these six other people had disengaged from the conversation because they couldn't actually visibly see the person. So technology has got its challenges because from a communication point of view, you have to work even harder than you would if you were together in a room. Caroline, do you agree that the actual mechanics of work, the places in which people work from, require a different skill set before we come on to what those skills are? I think there's obviously a lot of external technical, technological forces that are changing the way that the labour market operates. But I think there's also something about the nature of a career journey and what that looks like in the modern workplace. So people apparently have changed career um, at least five times in a lifetime now. And I think a um, that does have knock-on effects for the ways that younger people view progression, how they view um, um, sort of stability in the work 
place in the workforce. I think a Deloitte study found that 43% of millennials plan to leave their job in the next two years and only 28% have plans to stay beyond five years. So people are looking for opportunities all the time and that already has changed the way that employers are looking to frame retention, frame reward and frame purpose in the workplace. And that's another key difference. I think people are, especially younger people, are thinking about what purpose in the workplace means and it's not necessarily about doing a job from nine to five and then finding purpose in the rest of your life. The two are now merging a lot more. But Derek, presumably the psychology of how people understand work and the world of work and where work takes place is changing and that's what's keeping you guys busy. Well, sort of the opposite in a way. I obviously accept that there are certain things to do with workspaces and communications and technology that have changed. But the actual things that you are required to do to succeed in your job have not changed, right? Now, we spent two years looking at what makes someone succeed, and it's four things, right? Decision-making, execution, emotions and motivation, and people skills, You have to do those whether you're working remotely or on Zoom or I think you can over-egg the idea that things have fundamentally changed. Mm. I'm not sure they have, Mm. right? I think what has changed, and that just underlines the importance of those four things, is that in many places, although I do think, by the way, we should remember that we're talking about a segment of people and a segment of millennials. There are many, many millennials who are, you know, scrimping and saving and working two jobs just to survive. And I suspect they're not thinking that much about purpose. So it's a privileged portion Mm. of people we're talking about. But in their jobs, they almost certainly will have more autonomy and have more responsibility and it will be less defined than ever before. So I think that's the more fundamental change, which is that in the in the olden days you had a job and it was very clear what your responsibilities were. You almost you didn't physically necessarily, if you were in a white collar job, clock in and clock out, but you had a set position in the company, you had very clear expectations, and they were communicated in a very bounded way. Mm. That's less and less true. I wonder whether you're right that it's an elitist concern about whether you have purpose. I mean, Caroline, do you want to push back a bit on that? Because I think that the skills and qualities people need, regardless of what job they do, are changing and are also fairly universal and they're not confined to the old sort of milk round. I mean, Caroline, do you do you think that somebody who typically might be working in a zero hours job has a different attitude to the way their life is valuable at work? I'm not sure they do. I think sort of your socioeconomic circumstances has always changed how you look for work when you're thinking about changing work and, um, you know, the way that work fits around your wider life and whether it's necessary or a nice to have or the choices you make in the in the workplace and in thinking about career progression or even returning to work. But the way that the labour market is changing does mean that there is a massive blurring of boundaries between work and the rest of life, whether that's because of the precarious nature of work and zero hours contracts and the portfolio career and um, the gig economy and all that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's about changing working relationships with the rest of life and thinking about work that fits into a lifestyle, no matter where you are in the sort of professional versus other sort of career path. 
So we're saying a really interesting thing, which is that work is changing massively and yet the fundamentals of work don't change. And I think Derek's point about the simplicity of what people are expected to do hasn't completely changed. But what is changing is the way we value the personality that's brought into the job, right? The skills and the qualities. Talk about that, Amanda. When somebody walks into your office Mm. looking for a job, what are you looking at? What are you hearing? What skills and qualities in that person really says that person's going to be good? I'd like to give a quick shout out on what I look for and what my clients look for is stickability inside a career. Okay, so we have this situation where people are having five careers and you cannot get somebody, the only way to get somebody in on an interview shortlist, if they have moved around, say twice in four years, Mm. the only way to get them in is on a contract basis first. Because the stickability, sticky CVs, sticky track records. So going back to what I look for, when somebody comes in to see us, and this is an unconscious bias thing that we talk about a lot inside um, my consultancy, is we know that people will have more than five jobs, six jobs. They will change career. They can pivot quickly. But actually, what we know our clients are saying to us is, please do not put a shortlist in front of us of people that have not stayed, because we're not going to invest the money in training and developing them if they're not going to stay for more than two years, three years, four years. So the classic career path you're looking for somebody, even now, is you want three years in your first job, you want another three years in your second job, you then want six years, you then quite like another six years. Okay, You're not expecting 17 years in the same organisation, but that, that hasn't changed. So stickability and consistency there's a great adage about become an expert in something and I still see that from companies and that they ask for an expertise in a certain area so above all what my clients still look for is stickability. So we've talked a bit about the workplace we've talked a bit about the generations we've talked a bit about the fundamental psychology of the worker and what's required of them in the workplace but let's talk about the soft skills now What are you looking for, Amanda, when a candidate walks into your room? And what is the the client, generally speaking, looking for in terms of soft skills? Is it likability? Is it describe what you would say the key soft skills are that are elusive and people need? So I think Derek talked about being able to read a room, being tuned in and focused and alert and engaged is really important, particularly in this world we live in where people's minds flit very quickly from one thing um, to another. I think personable is a really interesting thing because I believe in extroverts and introverts, okay? So I think it's the skill of the interviewer to give a good interview. So if you know you've got an introvert, we all know that introverts can be brilliant leaders. So it's the interviewer, there needs to be more training around interviewing skills, actually, to get the best out of the person that that is in front of you. Um, It's not all about extroverts tend to perform better in interviews, right? So people need to be trained to identify quite quickly whether you have an introvert, and I'm really oversimplifying this, but an introvert or an extrovert in front of you. And then you have to sometimes work a lot harder to pull out some of those personality traits that an extrovert will often be able to articulate their personality strength and their soft skills better than an introvert, for example. And Derek, in your experience, is a person that knows themselves and is comfortable as themselves, somebody who is psychologically quite complete, going to be better at displaying 
their soft skills? I would imagine the answer to that is yes, if you're faced with a really insecure, really unhappy person. Or is that not the case? Well, don't forget the on the other side of the continuum in terms of coming across very well in an interview to someone who's very kind of uh, well-balanced inside or uh, very emotionally adjusted, as we call it, is a psychopath. You know, so it's not necessarily the case that somebody who... Thank you for um, that cheery yeah, thought. Is it, is it, <laughs> yeah, so, so I think, you know, you're right. There's something about feeling that someone is um, settled inside, if you like, that will reassure people. But equally, there are, of course, a lot of very, very successful people who are driven by things that make them not that settled inside. So it's actually very complicated to kind of work it out. And, and the only thing you can really do is spend a lot of time getting to know that person. So we, our interviews are four hours long because you haven't got a chance in an hour with a bit of ho-ho-ho at the beginning and end. Forget it. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell's new book, which I've been struggling to remember the title, but I think it's How to Talk to Strangers or something, which I'm halfway through, so I can't tell you if he solves this problem. But his argument is there are many cases throughout history of people who have known people people incredibly well and still fundamentally got them wrong. I mean, Mm. spies are the the classic example. So I think it's really hard to do it. But I agree with, with Amanda, you know, the soft skills of being able to connect with someone, even if you do that in a bit of a shy way, you can still do it. Mm. You know, there's an introverted way of doing it. And also environmental radar, as we call it, or what you say, reading the room, you know, being able to show that you're there and engaged and your mind's not drifting off is quite important as well. But, you know, it's an interesting discussion that we might get into about what's a soft skill and what's a hard skill, right? right? Because in our view, something like accountability and focus and agility, they're not really hard skills, right? They're more soft skills. So there's quite a lot of things that people have to have in the range of soft skills. My view is that you have to be pretty good at all of them and really good at some of them to succeed if you're abysmal at one of them there's very low chance that you'll actually succeed and here's the question about what can be taught and learned i know a millennial who's an introvert and she has taught herself to mask some of the more crippling forms of her introversion and to imitate the people that are a bit more confident and make eye contact. And I rather admire that ability to learn. And certainly the sponsor of this programme, QDoos, is an app that says you can learn those skills. And what do you think about the ability to learn and be taught skills and whether millennials and the Zeds are receptive for that? Because what we're hearing is they need these skills. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely goes back to the question that you asked just now, which is what do you look for when people walk into the room? And as well as doing research and consultation with millennials, I employ them and almost exclusively have only employed people in their 20s or early 30s. And I think it goes back to what was said earlier about stickability and as a small organisation, bootstrapping your way through sort of everything, investment in people is a fundamental issue and that reliability is so important. So I think what I look for and how that translates to soft skills is adaptability, having a creative mindset, Mm. being resilient, being able to weather problems and come up with solutions independently, perseverance, especially in a small organisation, and being able to deal with difficult situations and show empathy, I think, is really, really important. 
it's really interesting about the difference between a learned skill and, you know, hard skills and soft skills, because good communication can be learned and can be taught. And it's actually quite an easy one to pick up, whereas being able to adjust to different types of people and work with people who you don't agree with is something that is maybe a little bit more difficult to navigate and requires relearning every single time. So, yeah, I think the interesting thing about soft skills is that they can indicate where there might be a wider culture fit between organisations and individuals and having something that can help you work through that and and help people understand the culture of an organisation is really fascinating. And it's also about meritocracy, isn't it, Derek? Not everybody can afford to be interviewed or to interview for four hours, to enter into a coaching relationship, to have that hand-held, hand-stitched approach. And so personally, I'm very in favour of democratising, using technology, something that nevertheless is rooted in psychology, analysis, coaching, behavioural analytics. Where do you sit on that? Are you secretly a bit of a purist or do you welcome an app-based approach to skills in, in the workplaces that you consult for? So, you know, I'm talking about very senior people getting that level of attention and investment. Um, I actually believe that you can offer a lot to people through an app like Qdoos. I think what it does in terms of opening up a set of training, if you like, to people for either nothing or, or a, a small amount of money can make a massive difference. I think it's a sort of 8 to 20 rule, right? Now, However, Pareto's law, Pareto's law, right? So you can, I mean, I always say we can do a two day training on how to improve your kind of relational skills and connect better and people like it and it's useful. They could spend an hour reading and get most of that, right? It depends on the learning style, but most people could. So I don't think you do have to spend a lot, a lot of time or money learning these things one of the joys of the internet is everything's there, right? And an app like Kudos is, is kind of curating that in a way. What you do have to have, of course, is the interest and the commitment to do it. And that's where a lot of people fall by the wayside, right? Motivation. Yeah, and motivation some, and drive. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's an issue for younger people. So we're just going to wrap up by talking about the soft skills that we value if we could wave a magic wand and have everybody that comes into our room for interview, what would those soft skills be? And I'm also an employer, so I'll start. I would say that the three soft skills that I value most is one, an ability to be real and to be yourself. That's what I look for first. Um, somebody that doesn't send me a CV saying I'm a highly motivated, bright, brilliant person. Um, those are not CVs that I like. The second, I think, for me is eye contact. That You have to have somebody that can hold your look. And I suppose the third soft skill is a sense of curiosity. That if somebody is really not interested, that's something they've got to learn to be pretty quickly or it's all kind of over. The amount of people of my generation, of 55-year-old oldie, who they're not really very curious often. I won't be gender specific, but I would say one gender is less curious than the other in general. So that's given you time to think. I'm going to put Amanda on the spot. You know, if you could really name the three soft skills that you regard as absolutely essential, are yours similar or different? So curiosity was going to be one of mine. One of the first things, questions I would say is, tell me why you're here. Tell me why you're interested in my organisation. Boom. So that'd be number one. I think the second one 
is reliability. I want reliable people. I want to know that if they're given a task to do and they're trained to do a task, they are going to deliver on time, on budget, and it's going to be they're going to be reliable. And I want people that are driven, you know, and want to get on in life and I have a good attitude. So you want a composite, really, don't you, of soft skills and doing skills. Derek, what are your three top soft skills that you want, look for, admire? Well, I'll try and think of different ones, right? Because I think all yours are very good, right? So it's not that I wouldn't look for any of that. I mean, the words that come to my mind are somebody who is reflective. Because the truth is that the one thing you should really be looking for isn't a soft skill, it's intelligence, right? And that that is the overwhelming correlation between a factor and success. But even if somebody's not the brightest, if they're reflective, then they've got a chance of getting there. If they're not reflective, no chance. I think also listening, right, which is a very simple one. And then slightly, I'd use a different word to Amanda, but it's the same thing, responsibility, reliability, I'd say accountability. Is someone listening to what I've asked them to do? Are they reflecting on it so they think, oh, we can't do that, by the way, because don't you remember the computers? But they're actually taking responsibility already for coming back at you and challenging, but they've listened, so they get what they're supposed to do. They're then reflecting on it, and then they're actually taking responsibility for doing it. And the best test of all, by the way, is I will talk to people, and I'll, you know, it's not that complicated, but it's a series of things, and I'll say, yeah, yeah you're not writing it down. Have you got a really good memory? Because I couldn't remember those five <laughs> things, right? And then they go, oh, oh. Caroline. Number one, resilience. Resilience is so important to any organisation, but particularly a small organisation, being able to be resilient in a number of different situations and contexts. The second one is uh, having a positive mindset and being able to apply that to different situations. And just it does affect the way that people do their hard skills and as well as they their mindset overall. And the third one, it relates to the stuff on curiosity, but I think it's being able to learn and, you know, you can be curious and ask questions, but that doesn't necessarily translate into learning. I think it relates to what you said about intelligence as well, but um, you hear a lot now about sort of different, how different people express their intelligence and neurodiversity and um, inclusion. And so I think it's that being able to learn and being able to apply that learning. I don't know what the noun is for that. So thank you very much. We've heard a mix of both soft skills and indeed a sort of application and behaviours, which I think we should revisit in another programme. I'm very grateful for the time and expertise of Amanda Phone, Derek Draper and Caroline McFarland. You've been listening to the Soft Skills Revolution with me, Julia Hobsbawm, brought to you for QDOs by Auditorial at Editorial Intelligence. We recorded it at the Sound Studio in London and our editor is George McDonough.